Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, the last part of the verse says, But those people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And I have felt for some time that we are in a fulfillment of that word in our time. I'm not saying we're the fulfillment, but we are in a fulfillment of that word. Those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. Uh, Those who know their God are going to be strong and powerful, and they're going to do things that are way too big for them to do. They're going to do things that are impossible for man to pull off. It's going to take God to help them. You know, when, when, we, when we stepped into this Fire in the Hills event, that was, there's no way that we could pull that off. That was impossible. But we stepped into it, God got involved with it, and did things that blew our minds. With a six-week time uh, schedule to plan an event like that. There's no way you can do that unless God gets involved with it, and he did. Because it was his plan to start with. Young warriors and older ones are getting a vision from the Lord to do something significant, and heaven is partnering with them in amazing ways. Now just make sure there's fire on it. Just make sure that it's a God thing, not just, I mean, there's a million good things that every one of you could give yourself to. But there's some God things that are inspired by heaven that ignite inside of you and become a passion in your heart. And God will rally troops around you to help you with it. And he'll enable you to do something that's way too big for you. It's going to take him to pull it off. A friend that we met recently, Brett Hennis, who intended Fire in the Hills, is just finishing a crusade that God put on the hearts of a small team in, in uh, uh, just outside of Cairo, Egypt. Northeast part of Africa. And it, was, it, it ended up being attended by over 100,000 people live. Blew their minds. Many more online, probably another 100,000 plus online. Between fifteen and 20,000 people saved, many radical healings, deliverances, and burning of idols. Whew. Do it again, Lord. But it's a young, radical, sold-out world changer. It says, you know, and his testimony is every step of that thing was, was impossible to happen. But every step, God did the impossible for them and pulled it off. And they just stepped into it in faith and did stuff that they will be, that history will remember them by. But they weren't there to make a name for themselves. And if we're going to align and connect with heaven, we've got to forget this personality stuff. And we're making a name for ourselves. We're making a name for our ministry. And everyone's going to recognize Forget that stuff. Heaven's not, if, if there's ever been a time when it's been clear to me that the Lord is dealing with idolatry in the church, it's right now. Personality-driven stuff isn't working in it. Personalities are falling. Famous preachers and worship leaders that brought attention to themselves. I, I, it's, it's, 
heartbreaking to see some of the devastation that's happening. But personality-driven stuff is not going to work anymore. It's going to be when we promote Jesus and his kingdom and promote each other instead of ourselves. Those were the same values that we embraced when we went into Fire in the Hills. Let's lay down our competition. Let's promote Jesus, his kingdom, and each other, not ourselves or our own churches. And everyone agreed to that, and the Holy Spirit just came and occupied it. Because it can't be about me. It can't be about us. It's got to be about him. There are ways of God that are being restored. And once people get past their need to be a star and become part of a kingdom's team, then the Holy Spirit can get involved. Adam's going to come talk to us for a few minutes about coming into alignment with the sound of heaven. The Lord's been giving him some stuff on that. Adam, share your heart with us. By the way, this relationship was birthed on the mission field. Adam and I got to know each other in Iquitos, Peru. And uh, we connected there, and the Lord just really had a thing in our hearts for each other ever since. It's awesome. Love you, man. Good morning. Um, I'm, I'm sitting in my seat knowing that, you know, Yuri had talked to me earlier about um, coming up and sharing today. And I'm watching the Holy Spirit orchestrate the service and everything he's put on my heart and just touching little spots here and there like, that connects, that connects. Like even the worship team, like the last song that they sang, um, it seems like every time something significant's about to happen in my life, personally, that song comes up. And it's the last song they play before we start the message. And I know I'm coming up here. Um, I had a dream once where uh, the Holy Spirit lifted, it spoke to me audibly, he spoke to me audibly in this dream, and I lifted off the stage, and he said, you'll find everything you need at the altar. Um, I bring that up because um, finding the rhythm and the frequency of heaven are directly in line with what Yuri talked about in Daniel. Those who know their God will do the things he is talking about. Now, the question is, how do you get to the place of knowing your God? The prime example that I would look at is David. If you look at the life of David, he's a shepherd. When when men form councils, like if you look in, in another place in the book of Daniel, it says that Nebuchadnezzar builds this big golden statue. And he's like, he gathers the judges and the satraps and the officers and the magistrates and all these people of pomp and circumstance And he says, when we play the music, bow down and worship that statue. Because he was trying to establish a thing that was contrary to what the Lord had spoken to him. Now, this isn't mine. This is, I think Abe was the one to originally tell me this. But Daniel chapter 2, he has a dream. And he sees this statue made out of gold and then silver and then iron and then clay and clay mixed with iron. And then in Daniel chapter 3, his direct response to it is to build a golden statue. Like, I'm not going to believe that. Let's all add agreement in the opposite of what God is saying. Which, by the way, where did he learn that? He was the king of Babylon. When they were building the Tower of Babel, even God said, we have to go and scatter the language. They're too united, or else nothing they want to do will be withheld from them. That's the power of working on teams. 
Now, um, what I had specifically talked to Yuri about last week, there were a series of revelations that came in our time at the altar here. Uh, we pray several times a week, by the way. For anyone that wants to come, wants time to pray during the week, we open the sanctuary up uh, specifically on Monday and Wednesdays. Right now from 10 to 1, um, you're welcome. Anyone's welcome to come. But in our time at the altar, we, spent time, we spend time gazing at the Lord. We come into worship and we just sit at his feet. I've seen a lot of intercession teams. I've seen a lot of powerful things, but they always seem to go awry. But a lot of them turn into this thing where I know this is wrong and I know this is wrong and I know this is wrong, so we better pray for all those. But when you spend time just sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him, it changes the way that you perceive what is happening around you. That's where I talk about David. So you have David. You have, so the whole country of Israel is in the valley of Elah. And you have the Philistines on the other side. And you've got Goliath, this you know, massive man, pull like a weaver's beam, whatever. And he's shouting insults at both Israel and the Lord. And they're all trembling in fear. But you have David, who has been tending sheep in a field. Now, mind you, in Babylon, it was gather all the powerful people. We'll get people to agree with this golden image and this idol and all this. The more powerful, the better. But God's like, no, I see that guy out in the field. He's tending the sheep. That's my guy. Let me ask you something. When David got to the palace, how did he know how to play the harp and cause demons to leave if he hadn't done it before? So what was David doing in the field? David would sit in the field and worship, and he would watch his sheep. It's not like he was slacking. He was doing both, you know, multitasking. He was watching. He was vigilant. But he would worship and set his gaze on heaven. If you read through the Psalms, where did all that gold in the Psalms come from? He had a lifetime of worship. If you want to tune into the frequency of heaven, you got to look at the one releasing the frequency. Did you know that emotions have frequency, like measurable frequency? If fear is the opposite of love and all of Israel was afraid when Goliath is standing there shouting insults, where do you think that frequency is? Because it says that God is love. And he also says, my ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. If you're looking for the higher frequency, the higher way of God, you got to tune into something higher. you got to come up this way. But it comes by looking at him, by spending time in worship with him. And this is a preemptive act. When it came time for him to go and take food to his brothers, and you've got Saul and the whole army of Israel going, what's this kid talking about? Why is he talking about Goliath? We're all scared. We totally don't understand what wavelength he's on. Because he's coming in there and he's saying, who's this guy? Who's this guy that's shouting at our God? It outraged David because it was not the frequency that he was operating at. He said, I have seen my God. And he doesn't know him. Now the mistake that most of Israel made is they didn't know him either. But they had an invitation from God. They were like the only nation in the world besides the ones that made covenants with Israel that had a direct covenant with the God of the universe. 
He says it time and time again in the Old Testament. I covenant with them. I covenant with them. I covenant with them. Now the good news for us that even if you are not a Jew by blood, it says very clearly in the New Testament that the spirit of adoption has been released by what Christ did for us. And in that place, we cry, Abba. No longer is my lineage brokenness, drunkenness, addiction, pornography, all the issues that come with strife and infighting in the family. My heritage is everything that's written in that book. My heritage is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. I am a descendant of David. I am an heir to the throne. Not to usurp Jesus, of course. He's the king of kings, though. Who are the other kings? And he's the Lord of lords. Now, I had a series of, uh, we, we, not just I, several of us, had a series of revelations um, where we saw things in the spirit. Um, and I was asking the Lord, you know, how, how much to convey about this? Because a lot of times revel- revelation can seem kind of out there, like, okay, I don't know how to handle that. Where are you going with this? And I felt like the Lord said, what I want you to do is tell them exactly what happened. And then he said, but give theology to call them higher. So I want to set a little preface here. I believe that right now, and I have seen corroboration of this, that the spirit of Elijah is being poured out on the earth. A lot of people believe it's the end times. That's not my point You know, I'm not getting at the thing, oh, it's the end times. But the spirit of Elijah comes as a forerunner to precede Jesus and make things straight for him. And I believe that right now the Lord is pouring out the spirit of Elijah. If you look at the New Testament, when Jesus is on the mountain with um, James, John, and Peter, Moses and Elijah show up. And so, you know, all this stuff happens. But the point is that Moses represented the law And Elijah represented the prophets. So when people think Elijah, they think prophet, prophetic. And that's really good. But in Malachi chapter 4, there's a prophecy that John the Baptist fulfills. It's verses 5 and 6. He basically says, on that day I'm going to send Elijah, the prophet, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Now a lot of people wonder, what is prophecy for? Why are the gifts of the Spirit in place? If you look at that prophecy alone and say, the Spirit of Elijah was to come to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, A1 is relationship. It's exactly what Yuri was talking about. Concern for what is happening in your kids' lives. Caring because they are the next generation of leaders. Just like Moses and Joshua. Joshua became the next leader. He stared at God. It says he hung out in the tabernacle with Moses after everyone else would leave, even after Moses left. But the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And one time I said, Lord, talk to me about the gifts of the Spirit. Because it seems like everyone wants to run around and swing a sword not knowing why they're swinging it. And he said, there's two reasons. They're both relationship. One is to connect God with people. And one is to connect people with people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Fulfills the whole thing. So relationship. God gives revelation 
to form relationship where there might not have previously been relationship. Just like deliverance can skip six months of counseling, one prophetic word can build a relationship that's stronger than year-long friendships. So in that place, we have this series of revelations at the altar. We sit and we worship and we're like, Jesus, I have no agenda but to worship you. I'm here to know what's on your heart. And in that place, when we're not seeking it, when we say, Lord, we are open to it, whatever you want to show us, not our will but yours, and then we set ourselves to worship him, he shows us amazing things. And there were a series of things that we saw that brought me to this place of of basically... uh, prophesying to Yuri about the frequency of heaven, that the frequency of heaven was coming. So the first thing that happened is there's someone in the altar um, that they, they, when they come to the uh, meetings, they watch. And they say, all right, Lord, how can I be a good gatekeeper over this place? How can I know what's happening? And, and one day, probably about two months ago, something like that, they saw an angel standing in this corner right in front of the drum cage. It was like right over here, in this little pocket. And they went to the angel and said, okay, what's your name? And the angel said, Ebenezer. And so for a couple months, we've been watching because there's been several things where it's like, oh, there's an angel standing right here. What is this? You know, oh, that's, that's the angel that they saw, Ebenezer. It's like, okay, that's cool. Let's, let's hold that with an open hand and see how God connects it. Because that's the healthy thing to do with Revelation, by the way. It builds relationship and things like that. But if one's prophesying and two or three are judging, that's also building relationship. Because if you're going to judge something that's coming from someone, you have to know their heart. A lot of people want to judge all these different things and have no connection and be standalone prophets. I believe that's why in the last two years, the prophetic got so pruned. There are prophets all over giving what seemed like powerful words, but they had no connection to people in the body. Now, I believe that pruning is coming to an end here and that God is establishing the apostolic and that in the establishment of the apostolic, you have safety for the prophetic because the proper flow of heaven is first apostles, then prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. So I believe that with the pouring out of the spirit of Elijah, you have prophets being reestablished. But prophecy or revelation becomes dangerous when it's standalone. Not that it's never right, because it can be very right. Jeremiah had to show down with prophets that thought the opposite thing as him. So he was the, the voice over here, you know. But in the New Testament, it's an entirely different picture. And we connect it to things. So anyways, we have this, this angel that we've seen for months called Ebenezer. And I'm not saying this so that people can go stand in the corner and absorb heaven from Ebenezer or do anything like that. I'm saying there's a thread being unraveled by the Holy Spirit here. About a month later, so this would have been a couple weeks ago, we were at the altar praying and we recognized that there was an angel standing right here. Now, I'm not 100% sure why it matters where the angel's standing at all times. I think that oftentimes the way we see things from heaven and the way we perceive them says a lot more than the exact thing that we're seeing or perceiving. That they can be symbolic, that they can represent things to us as the Lord speaks to us. So anyways, we see this angel here. 
And I had had an encounter about a year ago um, where I saw this angel that looked like lightning. And I was like, I was, I was actually in Oklahoma at the time, and I said, guys, I'm seeing this angel, and it looks like living lightning or something. And a friend of mine goes, oh, that's the angel from Matthew 28. And I said, what do you mean that's the angel from Matthew 28? He said, go read Matthew 28. So I'll just read this a little bit for you guys. So in Matthew chapter 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to draw, Mary Magdalene and other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So a little side piece of theology here. When I was debating with a guy, well, talking with a guy, about the whole shaking thing, how people don't understand why people in Pentecostal circles shake, I didn't know it was there, but the Lord said Matthew 28 to me. And so I went to Matthew 28 and read it. And if you read it, when the angel comes down, the earth shakes and the guards fall as dead. And when I read that, the Lord said, if the earth shakes at the presence of heaven, don't you think if you're made of earth, you would shake too? Okay, Lord, you got it. So anyways, this angel comes, and it looks like lightning, and we're just praying, like, okay, Lord, what are you saying? We see this angel. We see this angel. And last week when Joel was praying, uh, play, praying maybe, uh, playing the drums, um, he hit this stride in the middle of the worship service where it was like heaven just opened up. Um, I don't know if any of you guys were here last week, but it was like for probably 10 minutes he was just hitting this stride on the drums, like, oh, my goodness. And the Holy Spirit started speaking to me when he hit this, this rhythm or this frequency on the drums, which, by the way, frequency is a measure of time. Frequent. If, if in science you're trying to measure the frequency of a sound wave, we, we relate it to sound or light, you draw a line right down the middle, and then you'll see these crests and troughs that go above and below the line. And however often it crosses that line is what the frequency of that wavelength is. So it's also a measure of time, which they call drums, you know, keeping time. So he's releasing this drum beat, and the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me. He said, look up what Ebenezer means. And so I, I start digging into the Bible, and it's in 1 Samuel specifically. Uh, first is in chapter 4, but then also in chapter 7, and chapter 7 stood out to me. So there's this massive battle, again, against the Philistines. They had a history with Israel. There's this massive battle, and they're crying out to the Lord. And when they cry out, it says that God thunders. <laughs> there's a title, lightning. When God thunders, the enemy is confused. And in that place, they win the battle. And so Samuel takes a stone, and he sets it up, and, he, and it's called Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means stone of help. And so I'm like, okay, so we've got Ebenezer, stone of help that's been here for a couple months. We've got this lightning-looking angel here. And then we've got Joel back here on the drums rocking out. <laughs> and the Lord says to me when I look at Joel, because he highlighted to me that Ebenezer was standing in front of the drum cage. He says, rock and roll. And I'm like, okay, so we have Ebenezer, stone of help. 
we've got this lightning angel that when the lightning angel comes, in Matthew 28, the stone, stone of help, the stone is rolled away. And then I look at Joel on the drums, and the Lord says, rock and roll. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't know what to do with all this. This is far too great for me. Um, so I believe that angels are sent to assist congregations, to assist bodies of people with what their assignment is for a season. In December of last year, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but I'm kind of just sprinkling wherever it comes. Jesus, I love you. Hopefully you're being glorified. Um, so last December, Greg Crawford comes, and he gives this word, and he prophesies about drums. And he talks about Selah when he preaches. And he says, Selah, because a lot of people read it in Psalms, they don't know what it means. He says, Selah is holding the tension between what God did and what he's going to do. And the Holy Spirit quickened to me that that's what he was showing me with this angel that's been here for months, this other angel that just got here a couple weeks ago, that if what God did was establish a stone of help, and what God is doing is rolling the stone away, it was his way of saying, I'm bringing a new season. And when he highlighted the drums to me with Joel, he said, I, well, I've heard several prophets, close friends of mine even say, there's a new frequency coming. And I didn't really comprehend it. But what I think he's saying with this is, Joel, I believe, tapped into that new frequency last week. And again, that doesn't have to be a spooky thing. That's a measure of time, timing. He hit a stride that glorified Jesus. One of the Hebrew words of praise in the Old Testament is to prophesy on an instrument. There's seven of them, by the way, seven words of praise. It's not all just praise like we say praise. There's all kinds of things, lifting your hands, laying prostrate. These are all biblical things. So Joel began to tap into this thing. And after, after service, I went to Joel and I said, Joel, what happened, man? That was awesome. And we started, I, I hope I'm not uncovering too much, buddy. <laughs> but... He said, I, I, I felt like I didn't know if I was hitting it or not. And I was like, man, you were nailing it. That was it. And it hit me that if we're coming up higher, there may be places that we are moved to in the Lord that we don't quite have sea legs yet. There may be things that God is unmasking or unveiling from heaven that by faith, because of what your God said, you step into before you're comfortable. And that's where prophetic begins to tie to strings that God is speaking. There's revelation here, there's revelation here, there's revelation here. The biggest problem with the 12 spies is they forgot what God said. He repeatedly prophesied through Moses and he said, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. What else did he tell him though? He said, my terror will go before you and drive out the inhabitants of the land. So when the 12, uh, the 12 spies went into the promised land and they were terrified, I don't believe they were scared of the giants. It's because the terror of the Lord was there and they forgot who their dad was and what he said to them. So we have to remember what God is saying in these moments. There's prophecy 
Prophecy, prophecy, I'm preparing you, I'm preparing you, I'm building a relationship, I'm inviting you, step into it, step into it. To tie it one step further, uh, a week after that, Tim Sheets down in uh, Middletown, Ohio, he releases this whole sermon talking about how fire and lightning can be the same word in the New Testament and about seraphim angels. How the word seraphim means fiery one. And how lightning and fire can be the same word in the New Testament. And he starts talking about this seraphim angel that showed up at his church almost the exact time we had this angel that looks like lightning show up at our church. Seraphim, fire and lightning being the same. Basically, he's talking about four hours away, a lightning angel showing up at his church the same time we have one show up at our church. And then he has, he's holding this one with an open hand like we do when we wait for prophecy to connect. And a nationally renowned prophet calls him, knows nothing about what's happening in his church, and says, hey, the Lord says he's assigning a seraphim angel to your church. And he said that your church has become an altar. And the Lord's about to pepper the nation with fire from your altar. We've been building an altar. So I say all that to say when we know what heaven is doing, we can position ourselves and respond properly. And I believe that all this ties together to say that we have been in a season of preparation before most of us probably even knew it. Because God is doing something here and he's about to step it up a notch. I feel like there's even an impartation. Is it okay if if everybody stands up? Would that be all right? If you guys would be willing to stand up. Thunder and lightning has been a theme. In Revelation chapter 10, it says that they, from heaven they release seven thunders. And then this angel comes, and what the angel decrees is no more delay. No more delay. No more delay. So we're coming into a place where we have been prepared. I declare over you, if you want to receive, just put your hands up or whatever you feel You're meant to do it, the Holy Spirit. Show them, Lord. You can hear the Lord, by the way. Every one of you can hear the Lord. I declare no more delay. I declare that God has been positioning you before you even knew you were being positioned. That the Holy Spirit has been wooing you before you even knew you were being wooed. When you wake up in the middle of the night, some of you have been thinking it's the enemy, it's God. God has been waking you up in the middle of the night. And he's calling you into the secret place. I thank you, God, for the hungry hearts here, that you sent hunger here, and that hunger resides on this household because we want what you want, God. We submit ourselves to you, Jesus. We declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. You are King of kings, and you are Lord of lords, Jesus. And we thank you for the new thing that you're bringing here. We receive Jesus. Angels are good, but we want you. We want to know your heart in this. We want to know what you're saying. We want to be the ones, Lord, thank you for raising up the ones that are hungry and will stare at you. We'll wake up and pray when it's uncomfortable. We'll go into the secret place of your presence and spend time with you so that when the world is challenging and whatever the test that's coming is, they don't bow to that opposite thing. We thank you that your perfect love casts out all fear, Lord, and we receive your perfect love. And right now in the name of Jesus, just like you can turn a radio higher to receive a higher frequency, we by faith turn the radio higher. That we would receive your thoughts, that we would receive your heart, and that we would know you because we want to be the ones that know our God and do the exploits that you have prepared for us before time began.
In Jesus' name. That was some good sauce right there. Amen. Amen. How many of you want to go back to a boring church service? No going back. You know, once, once you've worshipped in his presence and had Jesus show up, and you know why I love angels? I have no intention of ever worshipping an angel, so forget that. I love angels because of the presence of Jesus that they carry. And for the help that they bring us to do the assignments that he's given us. They're, they're co-laborers in this work. And so I, I love uh, engaging in that. And you know, you know what else I love? You know, you know what? Well, you can sit down for a second if you want to. I'm getting fired up. We'll, we're going to get ready to, to receive communion here. You know, when, when the pandemic broke out, and this is not casting aspersions at anybody. This, this was what happened to us. Okay? It's like the old outdoor life page that says, this happened to me. This happened to me. Uh, this happened to us. Um, I, I got this deep conviction in my heart that we had to stay open. We could not shut down. And, and, I, and I saw this flame. And I knew that if we shut down, the flame would go out. And I knew that it would be a tragedy, not just for us, but for this region. And all that stuff made sense down the road when we started talking about building an altar and the, and, and, and the fire of God on the altar and all of that. If we would have shut down, we would have lost something that God assigned for us to be keepers of. That represented not only what he's doing here, but in the region. And so then this whole team shows up that God's speaking to them about building an altar. And I'm like, this is amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, one guy relocated here from Texas said the Lord sent him here to help build an altar here. And he was here until they felt that it was built, and then he moved on. And he'll be back. But his primary assignment here was over for the time. You know, there, and there was a, a, what was his name, Stephen Garner, uh, apostolic brother from Chicago, shows up here and, and starts prophesying over I don't think he prophesied over anybody else in the place, if I remember right. But he prophesied over me and Amanda and about building an altar in this place. And then, then I intercepted him out here in the foyer. And he prayed over us about building an altar for the Lord here. And, and, the, altar, and the altar is where the flame of God burns and resides. And it's what brings the presence and the glory. It all comes. All, all, the, all the planning and the strategic stuff that we do, that's outer court stuff. But it's the inner court where the, where the flame of God is, where the presence of God is. And that's what happens here when, that nobody sees, except those who are here tending the altar and, keeping the, and, and helping to maintain the presence of God in this place. And that's what makes, uh, that's what makes it an attractive place uh, because when the presence of God comes, there's nothing quite like that. And, and I'll, you can have all the advertising campaigns in the world. I'll take the presence of God as the only PR that we need. Amen? 
because there's something for hungry people that are drawn to where the presence of God is. And, and I, you know, there's going to be a time, probably not too far distant, when the word's going to go out. God's doing something miraculous in this place. And people are just going to come from all over the place because people are hungry for the presence of the glory of God. There's some people that will run from it, you know, depending on what's... But, but the hungry people will work past their fear and they'll come. And, uh, and so we, we want to enter into a time of receiving communion now. Would you stand with me? Let's just pray together. Jesus, we're so grateful for your broken body. You said that you're the living bread that came down from heaven. That if men would eat of this, they would never die. And you've, you've entrusted us with so much bread, not only for ourselves, but to give away to a world that's hungry for you. And we bless the, the bread. And as we eat of it, we remember what it cost you. We remember how they broke you on the cross so that we could be whole. You took all of our brokenness on yourself took all the abuse and the punishment that we thought we needed. You took it into your own body on the cross. And we're so grateful. So as we eat this bread, we receive the wholeness that you paid for. We ask that you would bring us back together and make us one. That we would become one whole person. And that we corporately would become one whole body and that your body around the world would become one whole body. Jesus, would you do a miracle in your body and make us one? Give us grace to forget about our competitions and the things that make us different and make us think differently. We just embrace the whole body of Christ today that you died for. And we say, Father, make us one. And we thank you for this cup. When you shed your blood, you said you gave this as a ransom for many. This is the new covenant in your blood. And so we receive this cup as your life poured out. We surrender our life and we receive yours. We ask that you would cleanse our bloodline, that you would cleanse us of everything that contaminated us, everything that our parents uh, struggled with that the enemy tried to replicate in our generation we thank you that it's all cancelled through the power of the blood we receive a new DNA through the power of your blood let the DNA of heaven be written on every cell in our being in Jesus name and we do all of this in remembrance of you Jesus Amen feel free to come with your family